Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Randy Crabtree. Randy Crabtree, co-founder and partner of Trimerit Specialty Tax Professionals, is a widely followed author, lecturer, and podcast host for the accounting profession. He's also the president of the Stroke Survivors Empowering Each Other nonprofit and the part owner of an award-winning craft beer and bottle shop in Chicago. Today, he's our guest on Financial Flossing. Randy, welcome to the show. Ross. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and uh, I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Well, we're going to jump right in here because you're going to talk. You are an expert in an area that I would argue is somewhat polarizing and it's full of misinformation. Everybody hates taxes. Everybody wants to get tax dollars back. And what better way than these promises of free money, also known as tax credits. Yes. So let me go down the list real quick of the areas of tax credits you specialize in for our listeners. So R&D tax credits, cost segregation, obviously that involves real estate, audit defense, R&D tax consulting, 45L credits, section 179D credits, employee retention credits, and WOTC tax credits. Now, the two that we'll probably spend the most amount of time on are ERC and R&D, but a lot of these credits are really awesome and they apply to different industries. And since we're talking about the dental industry, of all the credits that you guys specialize in, in your niche focus, which are the ones that dentists who own their own practice can actually use? So, so the most common, and this is a temporary credit, is the employee retention credit. This is you know something that came out in the CARES Act two years ago, and there's significant benefits for companies that could qualify. R&D is one that we want to discuss too, because I have a little bit of a, a soapbox issue with R&D in, in this industry that we might want to discuss as well. And then the other one is cost seg, that often if they're buying a building or remodeling a building or doing a build out, there's some benefits there. Okay, so let's go into the ERC here. It came out with the CARES Act. How yep. long is it going to be around for? What does it do in layman's terms? Who can get it? Is there a uh, statute of limitations? Kind of lay it off for us. Yeah, so it's around. There, so there's a lot of misinformation. You were kind of mentioning this a little bit at the beginning, but there's a lot of misinformation on this specific credit. People were being told that if you didn't file by December 31st of 2021, you were losing your opportunity to get the credit. That's not true. The credit is a credit on your payroll tax returns, which are filed quarterly. And so whatever quarter you qualify in 20 or 21, which is the periods we can qualify, you have three years from the original date of filing that 941 to amend it and claim this credit. So, so from a time to answer the first question, from a time standpoint, we're not against up against any time crunch at all. Now, it's a nice, significant benefit going to business. So from a money standpoint, 
people want to claim it now so that they can get this money back into their business. But from a time standpoint, you, there's nothing there. So, um, so, yeah, go ahead. So this is all COVID related, 2020, yep. 2021, yes. you have three years. So basically by the end of 2023, you have to, to take care of 2020. By the end of 2024, you have to take care of 2021, correct? You got it. You got it. And am I correct in saying that most CPAs will tell you to go find an ERC specialist firm because they don't deal with it and they don't want to deal with it. They just want you to go deal with it. They want you to get it, but go talk to someone else. Yeah. In general, that's what will happen. Most of our business for Trimerit, our company comes from CPA firms. So we support CPAs. Our whole goal is to to enable them to bring these tax saving opportunities to their clients. So that is where we get our business. Most of them are not doing it. It is not a, hey, one plus one equals two, go get the credit. There's a lot of interplay between different credits and incentives. But let me give you a quick definition of this so people know what we're talking about. We're kind of, I probably went down a path of, let's define this first, but so to qualify for the employee retention credit, and we've done this for a lot of dental practices, and, and typically they are going to qualify at least for a portion of this credit. To qualify, the definition changes from 20 to 21. In the year 2020, if you show a 50%, 50% drop in revenue in any quarter in 2020, when you compare that to 19, you hit a safe harbor rule, you automatically qualify. Now that 50% is a big drop. We haven't seen a lot of that in these it was practices. Only in Q2. Q2, so we did see that drop. Yep. It was only typically only in Q2 of 2021 happened. Yep. We saw that drop in that quarter, but maybe not the other quarters. But the way the rules are written is if you do qualify, let's say Q2, there was a 50% drop, you're going to qualify for the Q3 of 2020 as well, and probably Q4 because the it gets easier once you opt in, once you qualify, it gets easier for the rest of the year. For 21, the safe harbor rule says I need a 20% drop in revenue when I compare again to 19. And that's easier. I mean, we don't want to see a 20% drop in revenue, but we have. And same rules somewhat apply that you know, once you qualify a quarter, the next quarter qualifies. And that's the math portion of qualifying. That's the easy part. You know, you can compare financial statements and see that we had this drop, we qualify. Now let's start doing the interaction between PPP and and H was it HHS if we had any or other, you know, credits or incentives out there and make sure we're not double dipping on anything. The more confusing part or the part that gets a lot of misinformation either from under-qualifying companies or over-qualifying companies is you can qualify if you can prove that you had some restrictions placed on you by a government mandate, a government entity, a government you know order saying you have to restrict your business somehow. So you have to close your doors for a specific period of time, you know, for six weeks, everybody had to stay home. Boom. Okay. That's a government order. Or you had to reduce the capacity, the number of people you could see in your practice. You know, you could only see one an hour rather than, you know, one every five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever that the numbers are, or you had to not reuse a, uh, let's say an exam room. You had to disinfect it in between. And because you had to do that, you effectively reduce the number of patients you could see in a day because you had restrictions placed on you. So those types of things. So you you can qualify on that, but you have to have an effect from that mandate. It can't just be, you know, hey, I had to wear masks and therefore I qualify. No, it's 
it had to have some kind of financial effect to me. So that's that's the those are the two ways. So in this world of ERC, there's been a lot of companies, organizations that have popped up and become quote unquote ERC specialist. In your experience, as nicely as you can, <laughs> how many of these are smoke and mirrors operations type of scenarios? So I can get in my soapbox a little on this. I get concerned. Now there's been companies that have been doing specialty tax forever. We're 15 years into this. And so, you know, we're going to be around for a while. I've seen companies pop up that their name is ERC something, you know? Okay. So they just came, got into business just to do this. Doesn't mean they don't do it right. Plenty of them do. The, the concern that I have, and not just a concern, I see it almost on a daily basis is people are being offered credits that don't exist because they, they one, they didn't have the revenue drop, fine. Okay, they don't have to have a revenue drop. In fact, you can have an increase in revenue if I can show a portion of your business was affected by a mandate. And that was common with Dennis. You know, So I'm going on side trick. So what happens is people are saying, just because your state had mandates, you qualify. And that's the problem. I, you need to quantify that. And so I'm, I'm seeing way too many credits being promised. And I'm saying promised. I mean, I have daily, it seems like I got CPAs call me and say, hey, my client has just been contacted by this company that's going to offer them an ERC. They tell them they have $5 million in credit. And that's not an uncommon number I'm hearing, you know, three to 5 million they're saying. And the CPA says to me, I don't see that they qualify. What's your opinion? And Unfortunately, their opinion's usually right. When I look at it, I agree with them that they didn't qualify. And maybe so, it wasn't they didn't qualify the entire period, but they qualified for two months, not a year and a half. Yeah. So what happens if you use this fly-by-night ERC company and you allegedly get this credit? Yep. What are the repercussions or the consequences of doing it the wrong way? Well, so just in general, if you're doing tax and you're doing income tax wrong, and this is actually payroll tax, but it's still tax. So when you're doing a tax return, you do it wrong. I mean, you're, you can be subject to penalties. You're definitely subject to interest. If they audit, you know, this all comes out in an audit. There's no pre-qualification that the IRS does for this. And so what happens is some of these people are just playing the audit game. Hey, I'm only going to get 5% of these audited. So let's just you know, apply for all of them. So they're, but, they're basically, they're at the table in Vegas playing the odds. Yeah. This is my opinion, you know, but this is what I'm seeing well, out there. <laughs> so there will be an, once the statute of limitations is over, maybe even before the audit police are going to come out crazy on this. So you would think, so give me some real numbers. Like, so let's just say, uh, give me some real numbers of a, if a dental practice does, you know, $2 million in revenue. Yep. And this is payroll tax. Let's suppose they have half a million dollars in annual payroll. Uh, you know, I don't know if these, these numbers are probably not, you know, right. realistic because, you know, I don't run a dental practice, but, um, and I'll get in the weeds there with that. But like, what, what kind of number credits are they looking at? So it's it's more based on not total payroll, but payroll for per employee. So let's talk a practice that has 10 full-time employees. Is that a good yeah, number? Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So a practice has 10 full-time employees. The numbers change from the year 2020 to 21. But for the year 2020, if they qualify, and let's assume they qualify for the entire year, year being March 13th till the end of the year, that's when this was defined. Okay. If they have 10 employees and after we back out PPP and some other things, 
we still are able to max out each employee's payroll at 10 grand, which is the max we can use for the credit. We have $100,000 of available wages there, 10 people at 10 grand each. The credit's 50% of that. So in this scenario for 2020, the credit would be $50,000. And when I say credit, and, and you've, I know you know credits and have talked to credits before, typically credits have to offset something else, income tax. This doesn't. This is just a refund. So if I say there's a $50,000 credit, we file the amended payroll tax returns and the government sends a $50,000 check, no matter what you paid in. Might take a year to get the check, but you're still going to get 50K. You are on top of this. It is taking a year to get the check. It is a, it is a very slow process. So, um, so how are people being promised $5 million? Yep. Well, let me, can I get to that in a second? Yes, can yeah, I, go ahead. And can I, let me finish the scenario now for 21, because yeah, that okay. this is 21 is where the numbers get big. And so this will kind of go towards your, your question. In the year 21, the credit is now a quarterly credit. So we get to do this math every quarter. So if everybody makes 10 grand a quarter of qualified wages, and in the same scenario, we have 10 employees, there's now $100,000 available per quarter, but it's also now a 70% credit, not 50. So now we have 70% of 100,000 each quarter. So for the, if they qualify all three quarters in 21 and it stops at the end of September, so only the first three quarters are eligible for the credit for most companies, that's $210,000 for that small business in the year 21 plus 50,000 for last year, there's $260,000 available for that business, that 10 person business. Let's say, assume we're a hundred person business, all of a sudden we're at 2.6 million in that same scenario. So that's how, you know, it grows pretty rapidly. And so this, you start dealing in, you know, mid-sized companies here, uh, 50, 60, 70 employees, and this becomes an absolute racket oh. um, for this fly-by-night ERC company. And it's an absolute windfall for the business. Oh, it's huge qualify. for the business. And, 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 and the, so that I, I don't want to be on the negative side because there, is, there are so many businesses that have qualified or do qualify that haven't taken this yet. It's just, I get that call daily about the ones that don't qualify. So do, let's forget the negative end of things right now. Realize that people are going to promise you credits that don't exist. Doesn't mean don't investigate it. You should have, every company should investigate this because you never know if you're going to qualify or not, but not every company can get it or should get it. Wow. Well, let, let's transition to the layup of our three topics here, and that's cost segregation studies. Yes. And so for those of you who don't know, when you own a piece of real estate, you can depreciate that uh, every year against your taxes. Now, when you depreciate it normally, is it 39 years, Randy? Yeah, for commercial property, it's right. 39 years. And so obviously, a million-dollar property, a million dollars divided by 39 is not a huge deduction. So what a cost segregation does is it accelerates the deductions, typically you know, different portions are deducted at different levels and it accelerates, accelerates them dramatically and you can have a dramatic tax reduction. So talk about this, Randy, and kind of what do you need for this to make sense? Because, you know, if you're sitting in a building built in 1970, that that's, it's probably not near as good as a brand new building today. Correct. This is a time issue. You know, when did you put this building in service? When did you do the remodel? When did, how much money did you put in? 
And so a common, you asked me this before we went on a recording, what numbers make sense? And, and usually we'll tell the client, if you have $750,000 invested in this property, it's, it's a point where it starts to make sense to look at this. Um, what's happened in the last couple of years is improvements to your property. So let's assume you have a dental office and during COVID you were shut down. So you decided to remodel the entire interior of, of your practice. Some new rules came in called the Qualified Improvement Properties that pretty much allow you to deduct almost all of that improvement in one year. So you know, if you do a, a million dollar remodel, instead of taking one, one thirty-ninth of that every year for 39 years, you're going to be able to deduct a potentially close to a million dollars in one year. And so that's for improvements. But in general... Now, is that a temporary thing or is that like permanent? That That is permanent right now. This was something not to get the tax uh, uh, geeky on you, but this was defined in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which was 2017. Except so the, it was in the Trump tax cuts, basically. Yes. But it got, there was a mistake when they wrote it. So its intent was to allow everybody to deduct these improvements in one year. They made a mistake and they didn't define the years that you could deduct this over. And so it reverted back to 39 years. The CARES Act actually fixed this. So this has only been around two years ago. The CARES Act came out and said, okay, now that we have a pandemic, we're going to try to help out our taxpayers a little bit. And they made this change. And so now you have this and it's a permanent, well, as permanent as tax code can be, because you right. know you can change that at any moment or Congress can. In general, though, even without the qualified improvement property, this one year, it's called bonus depreciation without this one year bonus depreciation. What normally, especially with dental practices, you can go in there and you can find a lot of assets within that building that don't need to be depreciated over 39 years. You know, even just electrical and plumbing that's 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 uh, going into the exam rooms could be depreciated at potentially five or seven years. All the equipment inside is going to be depreciated faster. You know, movable doors, redundant lighting, removable walls, uh, all this stuff does not have to stay 39 years. So what a cost seg does, it goes in, finds all those components that can be depreciated faster reallocates them to the five, seven, or 15-year life, and then depreciates them over that shorter life. And a lot of times they are bonus eligible too. So even when you say five, seven, or 15, it may become one year write-off. I, I mean, I've seen people get a quarter million dollar tax savings in one year off of cost segregation. I mean, yes. it's, it's pretty impressive if you're at the right building. It is. So uh, we just did a medical practice, uh, um, an office Last year, after these qualified improvement changes came in, it was about two and a half million dollars of improvements. It was they existed, the building exists already. They put two and a half million improvements into it. Before cost seg, it was probably about a sixty-three thousand dollar a year write-off. Afterwards, after this is this is a real life scenario we did. Afterwards, it was two point two million dollars we rolled off in the first year. So yeah, yeah I mean that uh, at thirty percent, that's a, a you know, or forty percent, that's a pretty decent savings yeah. there. Now, the cost seg, there is a financial investment to do a cost seg. So talk about that for a second. Yeah. So the issue is we can't do these for free. I guess we could, but we wouldn't be in business long. Right. Um, and so that's what you mean from our standpoint, right? For us or someone else doing it. 
Yeah. So we go out and we have engineers that analyze the building and determine what we you can qualify. And, and we're obviously going to get paid for that. But what we want is we want your return on the investment to be pretty significant. You know, if 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 our fees are five grand, you know, at, we want at a minimum, you have $50,000 in tax savings in that scenario 10 times and 10 times as low. We usually are seeing a much higher return on investment when the, when we go in and do a cost seg for these. So yeah, there's, there's a point in time where it doesn't make sense because the fee uh, will be too great compared to the benefit, but that $750,000 million up property, usually you're going to get a nice return. I'm yeah, sorry, was that the question? No, that was the question. But it, yeah. and it, So you got you to pay some money up front to, to do this and make sure it works and get the, get it done. So that if, you own a, if you're listening to this podcast and you own a dental practice and you own your building and it's you know worth, you know say, $750,000 closer to a million dollars or more, and your CPA hasn't talked to you about this, that's something, a conversation you need to have and you need to be reaching out to Randy and we'll get his information at the at the end of the, the show here. But now we're going to talk about the hot button issue. Mm-hmm. And so I know I like to stir the pot and I know I can stir Randy's pot on this one. R&D tax credits. So R&D tax credits are, they sound awesome. It's free money. It just rains down from the sky. All you have to do is own the business, right, Randy? That's how it works, right? <laughs> You're trying to round me up here, aren't you? <laughs> so, so first off, what industries does this, does this really work well for? You know, so any industry can qualify. It's really the biggest users of this are manufacturing, software development, architecture, and engineering. Those are the top four. You know, we can Just so see- you know, I've had people tell me that financial services qualifies. So financial services, now we can see qualified in that if there's software development, but I don't see any other way that financial services qualify unless you're developing software for your practice. So, so yes, it's a it's an area that there's, uh, similar to ERC, a lot of misconceptions and everything I say is my opinion. People can have different opinions, but I have It really seen- depends on what the IRS auditor's opinion is, though. That's the bottom line. And so I've seen I've seen a big push in in dentistry, optometry, orthodontics, uh, all those types of, of practices in the last couple of years really. I've seen this to a point where I would almost like I just said with ERC, I would get a daily call on people promising credits for their clients that they the CPAs didn't think qualified. A year ago I was getting this you know, daily, weekly, let's say, hey, my orthodontist just got, you know, promised R&D tax credits. Can you explain how they qualify? And I have a hard time. There's definitely activities that they're doing, that dentists are doing, that have a technical aspect to it. That's one of the things. You have to have some technical aspect to your activity you're working on to qualify. You have to have uncertainty in what you're doing to qualify. Okay, so maybe I'm designing a, a false tooth, and and so I have to you know make it fit. Okay, I'm uncertain how I'm going to you know chisel this out, and I don't know the technical terms. Um, but what really happens is the IRS code says directly says that there is no R and D available if you are adapting an existing business component, and so. An existing business component, I have a false tooth and I just have to adapt it to, and they specifically say adapt to each user's, you know, specific requirements. And that's what I see that 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 has a hard time. Generally, that's what's going on, you know, just buying new equipment and using it 
you know, and learning how to use it doesn't qualify. That's specifically called out. Education's not a qualified activity. So what we really need is we need to develop pretty much from the ground up a new or improved, you know, the code says new improved product or process or technique or formula or invention or software. That happens. That can happen in dentistry for sure. Just not to the level that there's, you know, giant credits because the credit's going to be about 10% of the expenses. So, you know, to get a $10,000 credit, that means you had to spend $100,000 doing research and development during the year, which could be salaries and wages. And that's probably not impossible in dentistry, um, but it's that means that you spend in a significant amount. If you make you know 400 grand, that means you spend a 25% of your year doing things that you're completely uncertain about and no idea if it's going to work or not. And therefore, you know, you don't know if you're going to get paid on this type of stuff. That's, so unless you're that's a big a number. New, unless you're inventing a new device or technique, yeah. it seems like it's somewhat of a long shot. It is a long shot. It's, you know, people can argue different. I mean, the technical uncertainty is probably there. You know, using some kind of science is definitely there. It's the whole, you know, developing that new improved business component that I don't see happening that often in, in a, just a general practice. You know, if someone has got this huge practice and they're working on constantly developing new procedures or processes or, or even, you know, materials of new, you know, ways to, uh, you know, adhere a tooth. There's stuff there for sure. It's just far, few and far between that there's significant expenses in a dental practice to get a credit. So ultimately R&D tax credits, if you're being promised them and you're in the dental space, you need to be very wary. I would be. What's going to happen is just because what I've seen over the last couple of years, there's going to be an audit rush on that industry. That's my opinion, but I see it happening. When the IRS sees a couple of these and they do an audit and they go, okay, yeah, there's credits here that we can attack. Because IRS, this is R&D. If you do it right, it's a great benefit, but it's also on the R&D, uh, the, uh, the IRS's dirty dozen list. It is something that they know there's fraud going on in there. They, I didn't they realize know. it was on the dirty dozen list. Oh yeah. Which is, you know, it's because people are promising credits that don't exist. And IRS, in fact, just came out with new regulations on the R&D tax credit that kicked in January 10th of this year that basically you have to, this is only on amended tax returns, but I got a feeling they'll change this to all tax returns. You have to now identify every single business component that your credit was based on, you know, every new, new improved product process technique, all that stuff I said before. You have to identify every individual in the company that was working on each individual business component, what the research activity they were doing on that individual business component, and what they were trying to discover or what uncertainty they were trying to overcome. No and, one's going to keep that type of record. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. This is what we've always done from the start, but the client doesn't. We go in and we find it. We put it together. We've never had to submit it before. But we've always had it. And in fact, this is, I'm very proud of the fact we started 15 years ago in business and we started with this level of documentation because we knew IRS was going to require this. We didn't re expect it to, on each tax return, but going forward, that's what it looks like it's going to be right now. Right now, only amended tax returns. My impression is this is a test year. They've called this a test year. If this test year goes well for them, I have a feeling that's going to be on all tax returns. Could you imagine if the IRS was actually staffed appropriately? 
<laughs> what would happen? They are, uh, yeah, they are. I mean, so I'm glad they're not. I'm glad they're not staffed appropriately. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but if they were, holy smokes! Yeah, it so, would be it'd be crazy. They just hired 1,200 more uh, auditors. And to that note, just as a side note, the employee retention credit. Normally, your tax returns only open for three years for an audit. With the employee retention credit, they extended that two more years. So they can look at those returns for five years. Is it true that there is a higher probability of audit if you e-file versus paper file? I don't think so. I've heard people say that. I have never seen any data on that, but I've not really researched it. But I don't see how that would even be possible. In fact, the paper ones are the ones that IRS is looking at closer because they have a huge backlog on paper filed returns right now. They haven't even processed all the 2020 returns that were were paper filed yet. Wow. All right. So in our in our few minutes left here, so you do a bunch of other things besides cost seg, RD, and ERC. Give a quick, you know, brief, if you will, commercial about the other things you do and what industries that that it really applies to. Yeah. So we already talked about those two. So the the end cost seg we talked about. The other two, the other three that we work with is the work opportunity tax credit. That is normally a company that is going to have a lot of turnover, a lot of new hires a year. And so if someone's hiring, you know, 50 new employees a year, there's a credit potential for a portion of those hires, you know, if they meet certain demographic or geographic requirements. So that's a lot of like fast food restaurants and use that, or even a manufacturing setting. I'm guessing not as much in the dental setting, but right, yeah. it could. The other two are both related to real estate. 45L and 179D are both incentives based on making either commercial property energy efficient or residential property energy efficient. And the users of that are commercial building holders on 179D. You know, you own the property, and if if we can show that an improvement you did made that energy efficient, it's like the cost sake accelerated depreciation. So, but like if I own my dental practice, I own, own my building. Are we talking about something like putting energy efficient windows in, or are we talking about putting solar panels on top? Uh, windows, new HVAC system, new roofing, new insulation. Uh, it's really based on lighting, HVAC, or building envelope. So those three areas, and and you want a larger building for this because it's based on the square footage. So, you know, ten thousand square feet is doable. Twenty thousand square feet and above makes more sense to look at. All right, cool. So that's a lot of stuff. So let's talk real quick. If someone uh, says, "Hey, you know, this stuff applies to me," I think I need to talk to them. How can someone get in touch with you and your firm? Yeah. So and just as a, I want to go back. Don't ignore any of these things because you very well qualify. So it's just because there's a couple of them I said, maybe you shouldn't look at it. Everybody should look at it. Doesn't mean you qualify. So, and, and as a side note too, we we analyze anybody for any of these services for no fee at all. We only pay us if we move forward with something. So to get a hold of me or our company, just look at our website, try-merit.com. There's a link on there to look at all the employees. You can find all my information there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on soon to be, I guess, on TikTok and other places <laughs> as well. Um, so. and, and you guys are nationwide. You have clients. You've done work in all 50 states. So it doesn't matter where you live. And nope. what's what's great is these guys are taking work off of your CPA's back. They're there to help your CPA. If you if you go to your CPA, CPA and say, hey, I talked to TriMerit, they're done do this for me, your CPA is going to be glad. It's going to make their life a whole lot easier. 
Yep. Our so work, majority of our work actually comes from CPAs. So they bring right. us in to, to help. So it's try, T-R-I dash merit, M-E-R-I-T dot com. So if you have any interest in this, if, I can promise you there's somebody on this call who has not filed the ERC. I can yes. promise you. Oh, I'll promise you that too. So. <laughs> so anyway, all right, now, Randy, I'm a big reader. So I ask everybody on the call, everyone, everyone on the Zoom, rather, the podcast, what's your favorite book or what's the best book you've read recently? I'm going to give you, so we've been listening, we're on the road, so we listen to a lot of books right now. Okay, there you go. That's good. And there was one, it's called Project Hail Mary. Uh, it's by the, the gentleman that wrote The Martian, you know, the Matt Damon movie. Okay. This yeah. book, this book and the narrator are awesome. It, it's one of the best books I've ever listened to, but if I would have read it, reading it as well. It was Obviously, a, it's fiction, correct? It is fiction. Okay. So here's a question on Audible. Do you listen to it at normal speed or do you speed it up? Normal. Normal. Normal speed. Which, of course, I mean, you drive a lot. You know, you've been driving a lot. So, you know, a lot yep. of the times these books are 10 or 12 hours on yeah. Audible. So, um, so that's We've obviously. Got the time. <laughs> yeah, you've got the time. That's great. So, well, this has been very helpful today. I, I, you Can I give the, you one more book? Oh, Sorry, absolutely. No, yeah, absolutely. So, this is because this book really change the way I look at things in general and business. Um, And it's not your typical business book. It's called What's Your And? And it's written by John Garrett. And John talks about everybody you work with is not what their job title is. They are the, you know, in my case, uh, you know, a craft beer enthusiast or a hiker or a, you know, a, a volunteer. That's what's really my passion. The passions outside of work is really what molds us. And if you get to know everybody's passions outside of work, that's just going to be much better for your business internally. And so the book's great. I would read uh, it. And it's so easy to typecast somebody as, hey, that's John in accounting. Right. Or that's uh, Bill in HR. Or that's Mary in sales. Exactly. Um, and you don't realize that's just a role they're playing. Yep. There's actually a person who has a family, has dreams, desires, things like that. Yep. And so that's huge. That's really, really cool. It is cool. Well, this has been very helpful. Thank you for filling in the gaps on some misinformation and getting some truth out there. So uh, this, this is really, really good. I really, and this is very enjoyable. I really appreciate you coming on, Randy. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Sure thing. All right, everyone, you've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannon. We'll see you next time. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannon, visit rossbrannon.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 161390032. 2021-1195-35. Expires 423. That last part can also say 
2021-119535, expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax or legal advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Laws including tax laws are always subject to change. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 8505629075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRASIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. 2022-134054. Expiration 224. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.